day and welcome to Escape Down Under, a special podcast series brought to you by the team of Escape Collective from the ground at the Tour Down Under. I'm Dave Rome, and in today's episode, we'll be discussing the events of the Women's Tour Down Under and what it may reveal for the World Tour races still to come. Joining me again is Gracie Elvin, a commentator for the Tour Down Under and a regular voice on Escape's own Wheel Talk podcast. Gracie, welcome. Hey, hey, good to be here. Also returning is Escape Collective's managing editor and my bunk buddy, Matt Deneef. Welcome, Matt. <laughs> that was our special secret, mate. Um, <laughs> Who gets top bunk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave gets top bunk. Um, no, good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Um, a lot to discuss tonight. Two big stages to talk about. Looking forward to it. Okay, so this is episode two of many of the Escape Down Under podcast still to come. The first episode covered the first stage. Gracie, before we get to the excitement of today, can you give a quick recap of what happened in stage two? Um, okay, you're testing my memory. It just goes straight out after <laughs> I don't need it anymore. No, it was a really good stage, starting in Glenelg at the seaside, which is really nice. We had a really good crowd to warm up the uh, riders' uh, motivations, I guess. Bit of tram tracks to negotiate. No one came down, which is always good. <laughs> but yeah, up long way kind of up the hills in towards Sterling and they had a couple of well two and a half laps around a pretty tough circuit I've raced this circuit before it it's harder than it looks on TV again dead roads so kind of difficult surfaces that make your legs feel a bit crap but it's a lot of up and down heaps of winding corners it's not straight or flat ever so it's uh quite technical for the riders but uh, we were expecting it to be more aggressive. I think actually the pace was quite high and mm. it just was quite difficult for a lot of attacks to get away. The main attack of the day was from the national team. That was from Emily Watts and she was awarded most combative, which was great. And she actually got a really good gap on the peloton in that final lap, but she got reeled back in and it's quite a long drag uphill the last few K to the finish line. Um, it really suits not pure sprinters not pure climbers just those real punchers and we were looking at grace brown who's won there before but it was her teammate cecilia utrup ludwig who powered away Mm. she didn't let anyone jump her early she she jumped quite early for that kind of finish and won it convincingly there was a deceiving as you said there's quite a lot of climbing in that stage too uh, 2,000 meters, does that sound about right? Yeah, it was about 2,000 meters overall for the day and it was only 104k of racing. So, yeah, that's quite a lot of climbing in a short distance. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a surprise from uh, FDJ there. Well, a surprise in the sense that they'd gone into the stage racing for Grace Brown, the defending champion, and apparently she came to the team or spoke to the team on the radio with a lap to go on the circuits that she wasn't feeling well and that they should race for Sile instead. And um, from there, they just changed plans beautifully. And as I wrote afterwards, pretty good having a, a world-class bike rider as your plan B, someone who's won a stage of the, the Tour de France femme. Uh, and just watching how she played that finale was just so impressive. Such a, a pro in how she positioned herself while other riders were really fighting for position. She was just always in the right spot. And yeah, just bided her time on a really tricky finale, as Gracie said. And then... Yeah, with 200 metres to go, whatever it was, just opened up and, yeah, the gap was massive, probably five bike lengths by the end of it. Yeah, very, very uh, dominating, I guess, in, in the last few hundred metres. But uh, 
it was unexpected, I guess, coming, you know, you see a lot of the Australians seriously on form. And this is something you spoke about in the first episode, Gracie. But uh, Matt, I guess you weren't so surprised to see Cecilia in, in such form. Can you talk a bit about her uh, preparations in, in the shores of Australia? Yeah, that's right. So a lot of her teammates and most of the peloton here really only rocked up to the race, you know, within a week of it starting and maybe had a few days to acclimatize and, and get into the right time zone. Um, Celia had been out here since December, just before Christmas. Um, her partner, Miles Scotson, is from here. She's been out here having Christmas with, with his family and training on the roads here. And that meant she had some really good form coming into the, the Tour Down Under. And because she's starting her season a bit earlier and, and targeting it, it meant that she was doing intensity training earlier, which she said after the stage, which gave her a bit of a leg up. Um, I mean, it also helps that she's just a world-class bike rider and... You know, I think we talked about her as a possible option for stage two anyway, but yeah, the fact that she was preparing for it um, certainly helped. Okay, so at the close of stage two, uh, Celia was in the Oka jersey. What was the gap like? How, where were the standings? Yeah, so we had a couple of riders within a few seconds, right? We had Bertit Solo a couple of seconds behind. We had Ruby Roseman Gunn three seconds behind. Both of those two in contention as a result of bonus seconds picked up on the first two stages. And then there was a group of riders 10 seconds back that included the GC favourites. So um, like Sarah Gigante, who we're going to talk about, obviously, uh, like Ruth Edwards um, and a bunch of other riders who who thought they were within a ch- with a shot for the final stage. So I think it was nicely poised, wasn't it, coming into today's stage? Yeah, it really was actually. Um, you know, we could have seen it go either way and I love that a lot of the riders were fighting for bonus seconds for every single stage. So that really kept the excitement of the racing. So I think that is a really important part of this stage race. I really like bonification seconds when it matters. So I think that's been a really cool feature of this race. But as you said, it was a really interesting top uh, 30, I guess, all within striking distance. Not that that top 30 could win, but like there were some really good names dotted through that list and it was a bit of a will they, won't they coming into the final stage. I just want to mention quickly about Emily Watts, who um, Gracie touched on before. Uh, There was a lovely moment in the paddock afterwards after the stage where you know, she's finished the stage. She got caught, you know, obviously, and her, her move didn't didn't succeed. But she's riding back through the paddock to meet her team. And they're like, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You should be on the podium. And she's like, what are you talking about? And like, oh, you've won most combative. And she's just screamed out, um, did I? Oh, my God. Wow. And she just couldn't couldn't contain her excitement. She's, she's a very excitable figure and a very energetic, bubbly person. Um, always fun to interview. But just seeing how much that meant to her, it was just really cool, I thought. You know, there's riders and teams are here with different goals and for the national team, it's those opportunities to show themselves and to, to be part of the race and they did that and uh, Emily did that and it was really cool to see that she was excited by that. It was cool. Yeah, definitely. And I believe that she's on a, a Conti level team for the year, but she's not on a World Tour team. So that kind of showing, despite not getting a top result, I think is super important. And yeah, she does have some great enthusiasm. So <laughs> I enjoy when we get to interview her. Yeah. And Cecilia as well, like uh, being her usual self on the podium on, on the end of stage two, a uh, bit of karaoke for the for the crowds. Yeah, she's always good value. She was actually a little bit muted in her post-race interview with the written press anyway. Also with me at the end of oh, the really? race. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to squeeze it out of her. I was just surprised that she wasn't super G'd like she can be. 
I guess she's maybe just got those bigger goals in mind and this is just a small thing along the way. But Yeah, okay. I think also because they, because I was right there when she was having her Fanta and all the teammates were coming in and they were all hugging and really happy for the win and Grace Brown came in and the first thing she says was, was thank you so much. And you could see they were having a bit of a conversation and you mentioned like they were riding for Grace that day and they had to change plans. So I think in that situation... It, I don't know, I think been in similar circumstances, you don't want to over-hype the win in a way because you almost feel bad for your teammate. So I think it was there was a kind of some mixed feelings there. She was really stoked to win and yeah. she was really proud and the team did a good effort. But, you know, I think that really gave me a sense of how close they are as, like, in, as colleagues and teammates in that Celia was actually just maybe being respectful of yeah. uh, Grace that day. All right, well, let's let's move on. Let's let's talk about today. The final stage of the Women's Tour Down Under, the stage that, that ended up setting the result, and it turned out that the bonus seconds didn't play so much into into the winner of the event. Uh, can you set the stage? How, where did the stage start? Where did we end? Uh, a bit of a historic moment for the race, I guess, heading to Wollonga? Yeah, no, it was a fantastic day. And really anticipated stage um, for the tour. People would have been talking about it for months beforehand, if not a year, knowing that this was coming up. We have had a women's race up Wollonga Hill in 2021, I believe, but it was not uh, an international race. That was during COVID times. And so it was really more of a NRS race, I guess. And uh, that was where Sarah Gigante got the Strava record. She was flying. Um, but we haven't seen it at this top level of the women's tour down under. So, yeah, it was really exciting to see it. Uh, we started in the CBD pretty much outside of the Hilton and they made their way kind of in the foothills going south and that was where we saw some really good launch packs for attacking. We saw some really strong riders from some of those smaller teams getting into the groups and, yeah, they were out a couple of them were out there for quite a long time, but as we were coming closer to towards the circuit, the bunch was swallowing them up, so also wanting to swallow up some of those extra bonus seconds. That was really important for the stage, for, for some of these riders, particularly riders like Ruby Roseman Gannon. Who ended up in provisional lead on the road at one point. Yeah, I think she was leading by a second yeah, in the stage. Um, and once we got through kind of past the Wollonga turn off they turned right instead and that was like this perfect opportunity to put it in the gutter and that was where we saw the more of the Dutch flavoured teams and Lidl Trek put it in the in the right hand gutter so that was when I started getting excited (laughs) and yeah they didn't do a lot of damage it wasn't like true crosswinds but the talking point of that point in the race was that Sarah Gigante was having some trouble she had Ali Wollaston with her and at one point they were dropped with Grace Brown actually. So they were scrambling and luckily there was another corner coming up that they could tack back on. We saw another um, bonus points, bonus second sprint on the beach. And then you could see that bunch kind of just relax a bit knowing that maybe this is the end of the aggression and then you could see fdj jaco putting some riders on the front setting a pretty strong pace really not letting a lot of teams want to attack from then on and, and it is a bit of a drag all the way up to a so it's not flat into the heel it's actually a 
it's up uphill to the hill. <laughs> and so you can be quite in the red before you even hit the Wollonga climb. Who was looking in control of the race at that point before they got to the Wollonga hill? before they actually got to the final climb? Yeah, good question. Um, the FDJ team were really taking control of the race. Same with Jayco. They were making, they were really positioning well. Little Trek as well, really protecting Spratty. Spratty didn't put a foot wrong all day. It's really cool to watch her. She knows her way, her way around the bunch. Uh, really those top teams, a couple of the other teams as well, I think DSM were really protecting Ninka and Francesca Barale. So... Yeah, it was, it was good to see a bit of organisation there from those bigger teams. Matt, I'm going to throw to you on this one, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess as they hit the climb, what, what is it about Wollonga that makes it so iconic and pivotal to, to the race? I mean, I, I guess I'm referring to the history of the men's race, mm. but what, yeah, I guess it absolutely applied today too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's got a history to it, is, is part of it, and we've seen the race decided here so many times in the men's race. But it's an interesting climb in the sense that it is only three kilometers long and about 7%. So it's not brutally hard or long. So we've seen in the past that sometimes the climbers and the kind of stronger all-rounders can mix it up there. And we've often seen a situation where while the climbers, normally Richie Port, wins the stronger all-rounders are still close enough that they can still be a factor in the GC, which was why the bonus seconds were such a factor in the first two stages here, was why, you know, Jayco and, and so and so on were working so hard to be there at the the front of the climb, the base of the climb so that Ruby had a, the best shot of, of uh, taking the win there. Um, but it sort of didn't matter in the end, really, like if, if you look at how the, the, it unfolded from there. Uh, and we'll talk about the climb in a sec, but... There was a point just before they got to the climb where I said to someone else in the press room up at Wollonga that, like, Gigante had no business winning winning that stage, really, in a way. Like, how badly positioned she was at times throughout the stage, how difficult she found it. Um, you know, there's a lot of time spent, like, in the wind at the front of the bunch, um, off the back, spent a lot of time spent chasing up the side of the bunch while her teammates were behind her. Just things like that that you could see she wasn't, comfortable in the bunch and, and was struggling and it wouldn't have been a surprise for her not to get to the base of Wollonga today after all the work that she had to do so then what followed became even more impressive clearly a big box of matches to play with in the day. <laughs> yeah but yeah big kudos to some of those teammates they were really crucial and she acknowledged that in her interview saying <laughs> 20 minutes after the race had finished I'd probably still be out there if I didn't have these girls so she was really proud and grateful for that and Ali Wollaston um, she did a huge amount of work especially leading into the base of the climb so yeah Giganta had some really good support out there yeah Wollaston was was monstrous this week like not only the stage win but then her help throughout and going back to pick Gigante up from further back in the bunch and bringing her up then leading into the climb um, I had the the privilege of walking out of the press room just as Gigante won the stage and saw Sarah's mum Kerry and brother Scott running up the side of the, the course pushing barriers out of the way climbing over to get onto the course and all that and so I got to see them hug Sarah and everything at the top, which was amazing. But then also seeing all of Sarah's teammates arrive one by one at the top. And not only Sarah giving them a big hug, but Sarah's mum giving them a big mm -hmm. hug saying thank you. And 
you know, th- there was this real beautiful reciprocal respect between Sarah for her teammates and being how, appreci- how appreciative she was for their work, but then also her teammates back t- to her talking about how proud they were of her. And uh, it was it was beautiful, really, at, in that moment. And you know, as we'll come to, it's uh, the end of a – well, there's been a lot of stuff in Gigante's way in the last two years. So uh, even even as recent as last week, she was, things were still weren't going her way. So yeah, you could definitely see the the relief of mm. crossing that line. Things actually happening. Yeah, that nationals time trial that she had, where she spent a lot of hours on the time trial bike. It was her big focus coming into January was to be good in the Aussie time trial championships. Presumably to put her hand up for Paris, I imagine, at least partially, and then had a mechanical on the start line, had to ride the the time trial on an old road bike belonging to her previous team, which was devastating for her. But in a way, for for us as journalists, selfishly, it makes the the redemption story even better. You know, mm. it's like another obstacle in the way and then overcoming that, it just made it all the more special. Okay. Well, we do have an interview to throw to with Gigante. Uh, but before we get there, uh, was there any... Is it worth discussing what happened on the climb behind uh, the fairly dominant performance? Yeah, I think so, Will. I was expecting her to attack at the bottom and then just pull out a few of the favourites and then have a bit of a play, Um, which I think that's pretty much what happened. Sarah went as soon as the road went upwards more so. Uh, She pulled out those favourites. She pulled out Sile. She pulled out Spratty. She pulled out Neve Bradbury and uh, Ninka Vinka, who was the surprise package of the day. That was really interesting. Um, and Ruth Winder was there, uh, Ruth Edwards, I should say, she was there as well. Um, but then they kind of just started dropping off one by one. The the top four favourites were in there. And then maybe halfway up, I think it was, Sarah just put it into a, another gear and just went for it. Uh, but there'd been a couple of splits by then. So by that stage, it was just Vinka with her mm-hmm. and she dropped her as well and just powered away. So it was cool because she... Uh, actually was 10 seconds behind Vinka, I think, on GC. I'm pretty sure I looked it up as I was watching it, just like wondering how I needed to do the calculations before the interview. So she needed to beat her by nearly 10 seconds, I think. Am I wrong? I think she might have been on the same time. Yeah, because I think Gigante was in that 10-second group behind. No, yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah, it was... I was speaking to Gigante's um, DS Savaskanavan afterwards about how it unfolded, and, and he was saying that you know the plan was for her to attack higher up the climb, you know, where Richie Port always made his move. And in the team meeting, apparently Sarah got up and said, "No, I want to go from the bottom," like she did at the Festival of Cycling three years ago. And he admitted afterwards that he was really nervous about that, not least because it was a block headwind up the climb today. Yeah which didn't suit a solo rider. And Sarah said, no, I'm going to do this. I've got the form, you, you know, I, I can do this. I believe it. And so they went, all right, well, fine. We're going to we're gonna back you to do that, which is pretty incredible um, and good on the team for doing that. Um, and then she, she paid them off. But she, thanks to that block headwind, she did not get her PB <laughs> on Strava. I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. She spoke about that afterwards, actually, in her, her interview for the written press. Um she said she didn't get the yeah the QOM because of the the headwind. She did do her best power for that for that particular effort, and that she's coming back on Saturday for the there's like a time trial on Wollongong, oh, yeah. which Richie Port's coming down for, and she said uh, 
Richie's retired and I'm not, so watch out. <laughs> was her quote. Good, good. <laughs> Which is great. But yeah, it was Celia that cap- capitulated completely oh, yeah. on the climb. I think she was also the surprise. She she looked so good all through the day, and of course, from the stage before the second stage, she looked like wow, okay, she's she's going all right for this point in the season. And then, yeah, probably around that halfway mark on the climb, she she couldn't even hold on to those other four riders, so she was very disappointed on the finish line. You mentioned Ninka Vinka before, uh, second place of the day. Uh, I'm I'm keen to know more about her, partly because her name's quite great to say, Ninka Vinka. But uh, <laughs> also, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty impressive performance for such a young rider. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about her besides that she's in the second year of her contract with DSM. She rode for the uh, what is now the AG Insurance Sudal team before that, which was an under twenty three team at the time. Um, She's obviously an incredible talent. She, she spent most of her year last year riding for her teammates and she said at the finish that she'll go back into that role now. You know, this, is, this was her opportunity. Her and Francisca Koch were their two leaders for today's stage and uh, they both had the opportunity and she took that and she was very surprised with how well she did. But now that that's done, when she gets back to Europe, she won't get any more chances. She'll just be in domestic mode for the rest of the season. So... It's kind of how it goes, I guess, mm. but I think we're going to be hearing more about her in the future if she keeps riding like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I think that's what she thinks the plan is, but I'd say that she might get a couple more opportunities. Yeah. I yeah. think this is, yeah, such a great result. You know, it's it's Australia. We're not in Europe, but it was still a, quite a good field and it's a, it's a proper climb. So I yeah. think that her team will be very pleased with that and they'll go, okay, what else can you do? Yeah. yeah. 19? 19. Yeah, name to, name to watch for sure. Yeah. And Neve Bradbury in third as well on the stage and on the GC. And, you know, she's a rider that's been around for a couple of years now. She came up through the Zwift Academy program, um, a really strong climber. She's been great at Aussie Nationals the last few years. Um, <clears throat> been a great young rider for a while now. Um, and great to see her getting onto that podium. And who does Neve ride, ride for? Uh, Canyon Shram. Okay. Um, so yeah, we can expect some good things this year from Neve. I'm I'm really pleased to see her just getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That she's she's a ride that does seem to be just progressing little bit by little bit, and, and mm. hopefully this is the start of a, a really strong year for her. Okay. All right. Well, before I continue, let's perhaps uh, throw to Gigante's interview and from with the Gracie. With Gracie. Yeah, this is the TV interview. Get to hear my voice again. <laughs> Wollonga Hill and winner of the overall Oka jersey. Emotions are high. Please tell me how that feels. Oh, I can't even begin to tell you how much it means after I lost one year three years ago. And, oh, yeah, three years ago. And it felt like everything went wrong since then in so many ways. And to come back full circle with my new team and they believe in me so much. And I just, oh, I'm so grateful to everyone that kept believing in me, even when I didn't. Yeah, it's just so special yeah super special and it looked like a really difficult day before the climb you had to fight all day your teammates were fighting all day can you speak about what it was like riding in those crosswinds yeah it was really difficult um my team was so amazing i have been so many of their matches and a few of mine but they just even though it's dropping the wheels they kept believing me and oh my god kimmy you're a legend thank you so much well done girl we did it Thank you. Well done. Yeah, like the whole team from start to finish, the whole tour. And yeah, I can't believe it. It's our first tour as a world tour team. Ali won the first stage, I won the last stage. And together we all won the Oka jersey. It's just crazy. 
Yeah, you really did it all together today and what a great way to start your season. What, do you, what else are you looking forward to? I'm just so happy to get, you know, a win. It's, it's pretty tough when you're only 23 and then everyone's, well not everyone, but lots of people think you're like washed up, you know, like sometimes I did too and it was just so hard to keep believing in myself, but I did and like AG Sudal did too and yeah, now we won, so I'm just going to soak it up. You really deserve it all, Sarah. Well done and have a fantastic afternoon with all your loved ones and teammates. Yeah, thank you. It's so special. My mum and my brother are here. My brother lives in America, but he came over for Christmas and then he even booked a ticket to Adelaide. He's flying out tomorrow. I'm so happy they could be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, uh, yeah, and Natasha for taking a chance and signing me. I'm just so grateful to have a chance to race again and show that I'm back. And thanks to my coach, Dylan Lizzie, for... He, he never stopped believing in me. My mum as well, but I mean, that's what mums are for. So, yeah, thanks to everyone that did believe in me. Yeah, that, that's a really cool interview and um, so nice to see her. Uh, such an outpouring of emotion, really. And uh, and I really love that line about people saying that she's washed up at 23. You know, she's been through so, so much over the years. The, you know, the injuries, the illnesses, the that horrible heart scare that she had a couple of years ago. Um it's been it's been incredible. Um, yeah, it must have been pretty cool getting that interview on the finish line there and seeing seeing all that come out of her. Yeah, no, it's it's nerve wracking but fun to be on the finish line interviews at these kind of races because you see them cross the line, you see that disbelief, excitement. They're stopping, and on a hilltop finish, it's easier because they stop in front of you rather than hundred meters past <laughs> you. Um, and yeah, with it's it's also strange that something to note that some people don't really think about is when you win a wet race the first person you see is usually just just wanting and it's 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 just the best feeling ever to win a race and then you're like who do I celebrate with <laughs> yeah. but like you said earlier in the podcast her mum and brother were doing anything they could to get on course <laughs> so it's only moments before they were there and her team more teammates were coming in so, you know, the, your relationship with your staff is really good. So, mm. it's pretty cool to celebrate with your Swanee, not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's a strange moment to to do one of the biggest results ever and something that you've really been working towards and, and not have people around straight away. And, yeah. and the rest of us, people like me, just standing there like, I can't touch her yet. Like, mm. I just want to let her have her moment, yeah. but I also mm. need to interview her. Yeah. <laughs> but great. She she was awesome in that interview. She gave us so much and she really was so thankful to so many people. I really love when people do that as well. Yeah, to her credit, she's always been a writer that's been really appreciative for the support of those around her. And, yeah, we love to hear that. And she singled out her mum and her brother. Um, you know, there's photos from when she was in hospital in Girona with her heart issues and her brother flew over from the States in, in COVID times to come and be with her and her mum's been there every step of the way and um, she's got a really good support network around her and I think she's needed that over the last couple of years. She's had a really rough trot and mm. it's so nice to see her now with the new team and it really does feel like a fresh start to her. And she was saying afterwards, it doesn't feel like she's a new rider on AG Insurance Sudal. It feels like she's coming home. Well, she's, she's at home. And, wow. And that's such a cool thing for her. And I'm, I'm just really happy for her. She's a, yeah, she's a great athlete and, and one that I personally and a lot of people have come to really respect throughout her journey as someone so tenacious and um, 
so willing to, to keep fighting. Yeah, she thanked the team manager for taking a chance on her and she's paid them back on the first race of the year or second race of the year. So that, Good that investment money's well spent and, yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the Tour de Under, like has been a, a race of new names and, and young races in, in many cases. Like it's, Can we talk a bit about some of the continental riders that, that sort of animated the race? Were yeah, I mean, who, where were the most impressive rides there over the last three days? Bridge Lane, we talked about them in the first stage with Matilda Reynolds, certainly. Uh, Gina Ricardo was very good. I think she was away on a couple of stages. Uh, so they were always in amongst it. They were in a couple of moves today as well. Um, the national team, while they're not a continental team, they were still uh, very active, as we talked about earlier. Um, ARA, Skip Capital as well, they are up there today. Um, Lucy Fidius was up there Um was in the last break of the day just before the second uh, sprint point where Ruby Roseman Gannon rolled over the line and took the maximum bonus seconds there. So, yeah, I, I think for a lot of those younger riders, those continental riders, as Gracie alluded to before, this is a really good opportunity for them to race against uh, World Tour opposition to show themselves in front of World Tour opposition and, and hopefully you know, maybe secure a bigger ride down the track. And I think... Anybody that works for a continental team, team managers, whoever it might be, if somebody leaves your team to move to a bigger team because of their results, that's that's what the team exists for, right? That's what you want to do. So yeah. um, we definitely saw some good performances this this week and I'm sure we'll see the same again at um, Cadell's race next week. I guess uh, one takeaway from the race is super exciting three days of racing, but it kind of felt like things were just warming up and the the excitement was only building. I mean, Gracie, what do you think about the length of the race at the moment? Oh, yeah, I think it's been the most notable this year that it was only three days. So, look, I don't have a bad word to say about the Tour Down Under and the race organisation. I think that they have done, and we talked about this on the previous podcast, they've done really well to build up this women's race. It takes a ton of money to run this race from all angles, the police, the broadcast, they're paying the airfares of many of the international, all of the international teams to come out, all the rooms at the Hilton, like they've, they're providing support for big teams to be here. That's in my mind, one of the top priorities they're doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, they've got equal prize money, which is also, in my mind, not the most important thing, but I think that's still showing faith and support of women's racing. And, yeah, I think, like, they, they do everything well. It's one of the best managed, safest, uh, well-run races so far. So I think that's the only thing missing now is just to extend it, and that would be the next step. And talking to Nettie and Carly and Stuart Grady, who are the race directors here, that's also their goal in the future. I'm not sure if it'll happen next year, but I know it's coming very soon. Mm. Okay. Yeah, every time they're asked about that, the Nettie in particular has been saying, we have big plans and there are a lot of things they want to do and they know the people want to see it grow and they, they want to see it grow as well, but it is just a stepwise process. And yeah, as Gracie mentioned, as we've talked about, it is they have been doing an amazing job and I'm sure that'll only continue. Do, do we think the stages are long enough? Are they okay for this time of year? Would we oh, like- yeah, I was watching the, the, com- the Channel 7 News yesterday after stage two and they repeatedly said the longest stage of the women's race. It was only 104 kilometres and I was like... With the neutral. Um... <laughs> Is it really the longest? 
No, they ha- they typically do have shorter stages here, yeah. and that's not a bad thing. It's really hot often. Mm-hmm. It's the start of the season. I don't think they need to be 150k stages. I think anywhere from what they're doing now, maybe up to 130, 140 would be okay. So I don't think that that's a huge factor, but I yeah I think a lot of the Europeans don't mind that they're only like 100k stages. But the 100k is also a little bit deceiving. Like stage two, as you said, it was dead roads, mm. two thousand meters of climbing. Yeah, I mean, that's not racing. an easy 100k. So yeah, yeah uh, but certainly I think an extra day would be uh, welcomed by everyone at this yeah, point. Yeah, it used to be four days um, mm. until quite recently. I think until COVID time. So. That'd be great to get back to that. I mean, personally, I'd, I'd love the race to keep going. I, I would much rather continue covering the women's race than start the men's, if I'm perfectly honest. But <laughs> You're ready to go home now, aren't you, Matt? <laughs> That's right. I'm done. Yeah. Um, so, it's a shame we didn't have a bit more of a build-up before the Wollonga finale, but that's fine yeah, the women give better interviews <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah uh let's let's talk a bit about what this race actually might tell us for for the season to come is it too early to tell who's in form who's going to be in form i think i mean it is very early it, and i don't know how much bearing it has on the quote real races end quote um later on but I mean, I think it is interesting to see Celia out here doing so well early. I wonder what that means for her spring and how she adapts her training and her preparation building into those classics. Um, We won't know until that comes around, obviously, but that is interesting and something different to previous years. And I think the thing that I keep coming back to is just what it means for Sarah Gigante. And she doesn't know what her program looks like uh, at the moment, but I'm just really excited for her. The fact that she only got one race last year and, you know, she's going to get more opportunities this year for sure. And I just, I'm excited to see that. Mu- um, it was a much needed boost to her confidence. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Grace, you have, might have more thoughts on that and what it means going forward, but I, I suspect it's probably not all that indicative of things going forward. Yeah, not not hugely indicative, I think. Um, more so looking from the riders falling behind, you don't need to be bombing here if you want to be doing well even in the spring classics but i think um if you're a tour rider doesn't matter but if you yeah if you want aiming for some of those spring classics and keep keep mentioning this but the end of the olympic selection period Mm -hmm. if you are struggling a bit now it's almost like you've left it too late you don't need to be winning but you need to be there or thereabouts in the front group and we have seen a couple of riders struggling more than i would expect so i think yeah i think more looking at the back end is more interesting at than the front end so speaking speaking for australia like how important was the tour for an olympic selection well I'm pretty sure that we cannot earn any more uh, spots in the team. So we've only got three places for the women's team and that won't change now. So it's more about securing uh, a qualification spot. So um, I'm pretty sure that today winning a World Tour stage race, Gigante will qualify to be selected. It doesn't mean that she is automatically selected, but she's qualified. So... Mm. I think her and Grace Brown are the only two that actually have a result that will officially qualify them to be considered to be selected. Interesting. So there's there's a chance here where the course might be ideally suited to other Australian riders and those other Australian riders may not even qualify to be selected. Is that Ultimately, they'll probably have to go down to the discretionary selection for that third spot. Right. They also could chuck in a track rider. So the quotas in the Olympics is a whole other conversation, but 
they could, you know, worst case scenario, they could take Grace Brown for the time trial in the road race. Maybe Sarah Gigante just because she qualified, also because she's a good rider. Um, but they might go, well, we want to keep our quotas. Actually, we want to take another track rider. We want to take another sprinter. We want to take another endurance rider because cycling is given a bunch of – cycling is given a quota, not each category. Mm. So they might take another track rider and go, you can start the road race. You don't have to finish it. And that that is where it's shitty. Okay. Yeah, so let's that hope in, that doesn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> we saw that in uh, Rio, I think, with the um, Scott – Scott Bowden raced in the the men's road race. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. From, from mountain biking, similar yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we do have good track races that could also be good in the road race, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You could have Alex Manley or Georgia Baker, for example. Yeah, and that would be fine. Yeah. It just means, yeah, it's just it sometimes feels unfair if you're a hundred percent dedicated roadie and you don't gotcha. get that opportunity. I wanted to touch more on AG Insurance Sudal. We've talked a bit about them, and I think we talked about them the other day too, but. They were just so impressive, you know, the way they got behind Sarah, obviously. But, um, yeah, first race as a World Tour team and they were one of the best teams here, um, if not the best team here. Um, they just rode so well as a team and I was really impressed by that and I think that bodes really well going forward. 100% agree on that one. I think I'm looking forward to seeing some of these other, you know, not not the, the big, whatever, big five, big ten teams. It's nice to see these other ones really – Snip, snipping at the heels of these bigger teams. Mm. How do you think Jayco will look back on this week? Um, I think that they had their work cut out for them for overall GC. So I think it'll be a bit disappointing to not be on the final podium. But I think that that was a tougher uh, goal to have. Not unrealistic, but tougher. But I think that they'll be more disappointed that they didn't get stage wins. I think that would have been really valuable to them and very much achievable. So they just fell just a little bit short. And especially after such a successful nationals, I think that high just didn't quite continue onwards. I was maybe expecting Ella Wiley to be closer to the front today. I don't know, maybe early in the season she's got bigger goals ahead or... Maybe I was just overestimating where she would be. But yeah, it's hard to, hard to hard, know. Hard to know. So many <laughs> factors. Um, I was also really impressed with UAE. I thought they were really good, particularly with the bonus sprints. I thought the combination of Solo, and I'm definitely going to butcher this name, but Dominica uh, Waterchick, I thought they were very, very good in the bonus sprints, getting bonus seconds. And in the end, Solo wasn't able to, to turn that into a very high placing on GC, but they traded off really well, the two of them, throughout mm. the week. I thought. Yeah, they did work really well as a team. It would have been very frustrating for everyone else needing the bonus seconds on those sprints, but they had their own goals, so they did well on that. Every year that I'm away from cycling, you just notice more and more young riders, but it seems at the moment we're seeing a new wave of young talent coming through. And, you know, we're speaking about Ninka Vinka and then some of those slightly older riders, Neve Bradbury, and it's just... Yeah, it's cool to see a new generation coming through and what they're capable of and also just their maturity of how they can ride in a bunch. All right. Well, that yeah, it was three days of racing. Uh, I encourage you to visit escapecollective.com. Matt's been furiously working away uh, to bring some pretty great coverage. So you've got you some things. Have Dave? What's that? Have you read my stories, Dave? I've read some of them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think it's jump over to escapecollective.com if you want to know more about what happened on each stage. But for now, I want to know, Gracie, you've ridden the, the tour a few times. You spent a lot of time in Adelaide. Mm. Uh, for some people listening to this, maybe on their way to Adelaide, uh, 
or into the city in the next few weeks. What's the go-to cafe that will quickly turn to shit by mentioning it here? No. Oh, I don't know. I haven't been much out of the Hilton, which is quite sad. Um, but, man, there's some really good coffee, great food in Adelaide. I know that Argos, Argos in um, Norwood is a very popular spot, but that's kind of old news now. I'm not sure of the, the new trendy cafe. I think okay. that's when you're going to have to go on the Discord channel because that's where the true fans are. What Skate a plug. Collective. Yep. <laughs> the, our readers and fans on the Wheel Talk um, stream, at least, they know more than I do. And I reckon that's the same goes for the coffee. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah, there is uh, definitely plenty of coffee spots uh, unless you're in the city on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. At which case you should be on your bike and leaving the city. Well, they call it the city of churches, so I think they take their day of rest here very seriously. There was, like, hardly anyone at the start today. (laughs) That's true. That was kind of disappointing. Yeah. I'm I'm gluten-free, and uh, let's just say I did not have lunch as a result of that. So, uh, there was nowhere for lunch today for me. So, anyway, it's, uh, yeah. Leave the city on a Sunday and you'll have a great day. Uh, They're also doing a bunch of construction in town. Yes. Which means that a bunch of the cafes that we would normally go to just don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. which has been tricky. Yeah, no supermarket in town. So, But thankfully, uh, a lot of the good accommodation, a lot of the good restaurants, a lot of the good cafes are just a short ride out of town. So, I think Tiffany Cromwell would be the best person to ask. Okay. Actually. That's a great shout. Yeah. All right. Good recommendation. Uh What's coming up over the next week? Well, for the Women's Peloton, there is the Down Under Criterium on Thursday night, I want to say, uh, which is just out of Victoria Park, which is a, a local motor racing circuit that's used for local crits. Um, it's not a UCI-sanctioned event, I don't believe, so it's not not a huge deal, but um, I think most of the bunch is going to be there. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. So another thing that the – I'm pretty sure that the – Tour Down Under race organization also arranges for the women's team because the gap between the women's tour here and Cadell's race is much bigger than for the men. They will move out of the Hilton. They'll go stay in some um, more appropriate accommodation outside, better training areas. And that's great that they have that support as well to stay between races. So most teams, I assume, will be at that criterium. I think it would be elective to go, but I think why not race? I reckon we'll see most of those faces there a little bit freshened up from the weekend of racing. Yeah. And then from there, uh, eventually over to Geelong, and there's a midweek criterium there as well in the lead up to Cadell's race, um, which unfortunately, well, the men get a UCI classified one-day race, the women get a criterium, which is effectively a bay crit. Um which will be good. It'll be good to watch. And it's out down on Eastern Gardens where uh, I think you might have won there before. You won a bake crit there, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yep. yep. Won one Eastern Gardens before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that'll be good to watch. Uh, and then I think that's on the Wednesday night and then Cadell's race on the Saturday for the women. So, uh, that'll be good. One day world tour race. And then that'll basically be it for the Australian League of the... Um, the women's world tour and then it'll be off to UAE tour I guess after that that'll be that'll be it and then we that, yeah hops giving a jump back to Europe yeah and that's when the oversized baggage carousel of Adelaide gets absolutely flogged uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah don't be trying to travel with a musical instrument or a surfboard or golf clubs in that week what else is coming up well, we've got the men's TDU obviously that's uh, we had the curtain raiser criterium uh, last night which was kind of interesting a break stayed away there which is 
pretty unusual. And then the TDU proper for the men starts on Tuesday uh, with six stages, mm. finishing with Wollonga on stage five and then Lofty Summit on stage six. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting as well. As I said, I'd, I'd rather the women's race was longer, but um, I'm sure I'll get into it as the as the week goes on. Okay. All right. Should we wrap it up there then? Okay. All right. Well, that was our second episode of the Escape Down Under podcast brought to you by Escape Collective. As with all of our content, this podcast is made wholly and solely through the support of our subscribers and members. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to check out more of what we do over at escapecollective.com and supporting what we do. We'll be back in a few days with more from the Tour Down Under. Cheers. Thanks, Gracie. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thank you.